1: there that just came out. I'm an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. I started my first company when I was just about 15 years old, created over a billion dollars in revenue by creating one of the most unique supplements uh, ever. I I left home at 15, uh, started my first company roughly by the time I was 16. By the time I was 18, we had created a billion dollars in revenue. I wrote a book to tell the tale called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrillpot Cult. That's actually me back when I was uh, in my younger (laughs) teen years. A photo taken by David LeChapelle, a famous photographer. And now I'm here and I do a couple different things. I teach people how to create recurring revenue on the Amazon platform. So anybody who wants to start an Amazon business, learn how to make money on Amazon. Uh, I've got a course as well as uh, storytelling through being on great shows like this one. I run a podcast agency with my wife called Podcast Cola, where we get people booked on shows just like this one. So
2: that's in a nutshell who I am and what I do. That's what I wanted right there. So let's let's start back. So you came over with your family from Iran, right? Iran, Iran. Yeah, that's right. They just wanted to get out or just try to make a a move over here for a better life or is that what was going on? Or what?
1: Yeah, in the 1970s we had a revolution okay. in Iran and the Shah who was the monarch of Iran was deposed uh, uh you know a theocratic regime uh sort of took over um it was a bit of a coup d'etat and you know we my parents were Persian Jews and so fearing persecution because they came from the generation previously who had just been through the holocaust decided not to hang around and see what would happen to the jews so they bailed and
2: we came to the united states that's a pretty good move by them though i mean coming over here just give you a chance for success and it seems like it worked out pretty well obviously based on just what you just said so did you already have that Entrepreneur spirit growing up? Do did you, did you think you're just born with it? Or was this something you were just learning on the way or what?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think when you come from the third world, it's a different standard. Okay. That's why people who come to this country from other countries are such hard workers. Uh, they have such grit because you don't really take anything for granted when. You're not guaranteed anything when you walk around and you can see extreme poverty and extreme wealth and know that you're only one click away when you know that nobody will come to rescue you if you completely mess up. And so I oftentimes I see immigrants uh, coming to the United States and I have such deep respect for them because they are such hard workers uh, from anywhere, from Middle East, from Iran, from Uh, Korea from China from wherever they come and people always wonder man why they get such good grades why are they such hard workers because if you don't work hard you'll fucking die that's that's really what what it's about you know we we often I feel take things for granted here but we live in the greatest country in the world where we have an abundance of wealth an abundance of resources and People oftentimes don't go to these other countries. You know, 70% plus of Americans before COVID who ha- have passports never left the country. 70%. What a shocking statistic.
2: That is wild. I would have never dreamed of that 70%. But yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. You know, I mean, obviously, I was born here in America, but you know, and I've, I've never been outside the country yet, but I don't have my passport. So I guess I'm not in that statistic. But, um, but yeah, you know, uh, people talk about how hard their lives are sometimes and stuff. But it's like, do you really think it's that hard? I mean, just cause you didn't, you know, some of your Uber got your uh, order wrong today, or you know, what somebody cut you off in traffic. It's like mm, things could be tougher, you know. And just I don't think other people seem to think or see that side of things, just like what you spoke about, and they don't get that proud yeah. of that motivation.
1: You know? Yeah. I in fact, I was just in Mexico City. And I spent two weeks in Mexico City with my family. We love Mexico City, one of the the best cities in the world. I think one of the most sophisticated, culturally rich cities anywhere. And we we rented an apartment in this beautiful, luxury skyrise building, gorgeous building. And I mean, when you're coming from the United States, you stay there. It's like you can live like a king for a fraction of what it costs to live in the United States. And I remember I was with my, I've got an eight year old and my wife had to go to a meeting. So we're home and I'm like, let's order Uber Eats. (laughs) And I think it was like for all of $7, we had a guy and the elevator was broken, uh, carry a 10 pound bag of ice, like a 20 pound, like jug of water, like our entire meal. Like we ordered everything and the dude brought it up on his back. And the total was like $7. You can imagine what that guy was getting paid, you know, whatever it was, it was under 10 bucks.
0: Okay.
1: And I looked at my kid and I said, you know, that's what it means, you know, to work hard. You know, and we left him a huge tip. I left the guy a $20 tip. He was delighted. Cool. But, you know, it's, it's a different standard when you come from the third world. And it, it builds grit. And if if you come from the first world, like where we come from, uh, well, I mean where 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 you come from, you have to build discipline to get ahead. I know you mentioned you do CrossFit and you work out. One of the best ways is to condition your body and to and to bring yourself to a state of discomfort and to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. That's what I tell people all the time. You know, martial arts. I train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Nice. And training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you learn how to be on the mats and how to handle pressure and how to be calm under pressure. And that type of martial arts builds discipline. And that's why I recommend it to people oftentimes. But people are so
2: fragile. They're so scared. They're like, oh my God, I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> like, All right. Well, life hurts. Yeah. No, that's one of the things I like about CrossFit. And I try to tell people that you know, it teaches you to do hard things and you, you put your body through certain aspects that you normally wouldn't do in regular life. And so things outside the gym seem to become easier just with life, you know, not everything, but most things, yeah, I've noticed that's trained my, my mindset and, you know, my body and just things seem to become easier, you know, just when you put yourself through physically exhausting workouts, you're like, Hey, you know, this really isn't that bad on what's going on today, whatever said thing. But, um, but I've always been interested in uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu. What got you into that? Was that?
1: So I've been training martial arts since I was a kid. Oh, nice. And I started, like most kids do, my folks took me to a karate class because I was getting beat up in school all the time. And from traditional karate, I learned about this guy, Bruce Lee. And so I was like, man, I want to go train with Bruce Lee. But Bruce was dead long. I think he died in 1973. I was born in 1975. And so I got his book at a very young age and started reading Bruce Lee's book that was written after his death called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do. And I noticed that it was put together by a guy named Dan Inasanto, and he had a studio in Marina del Rey. So I, I seeked out that school and I went to train there from when I was very young and studied different types of martial arts uh, over at that studio. And then I, I stopped for a while because I got into business. <laughs> and after uh, several years, I, I realized that Brazilian jiu-jitsu was kind of taking over the world. And I was like, man, this is fun. And you do it. And honestly, it's addictive. It's, it's so fun to spar and to grapple and to like get on the mats. And it gives you this momentary pause where you can think of nothing else but survival. And really there's there's nothing like grappling to do that because it's you against another opponent and it is really kill or be killed hypothetically. I mean we don't kill anybody in the studio of course, but you are put in that fight or flight mode. So in that moment you are 1000% directed at staying alive. So your focus becomes so clear as to what you have to do to survive and and to not get tapped, and it's that focus, that moment of focus, that's the same flow that you need to survive in business. It's the same flow you need to survive in life, and to be calm in tricky
2: situations. That's why that's why I love Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, I'm borrowing this from uh, Rogan, obviously, but he called it complex problem solving. And just like you said, you know, you're getting ready to do one move and then I might be trying to counter your move or do another move. So constantly you're trying to think and try to be one step ahead of the other guy constantly. Is that what you're kind of thinking about? Like, all right, if he's going to do this, I am going to do that. If I want to move this way, I got to move that way. Yeah. You know, it's,
1: it's a little bit of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm by no means at mastery level, you know, my instructor is at at mastery level, but I'm, I'm, you know, more at a beginning level. I'm only a blue belt right now. So, Uh, And I've been training for like six years. Brazilian jiu-jitsu takes takes a minute to get really, really good at. And there's there's so many guys that are so far superior. Uh, But ultimately, it's about being in the moment and taking what your opponent gives you. So you don't know if the guy's going to give you an arm or not. And if he does, in what way he's going to give you that arm. So you have to be ready for when it comes now they're set up. So it's, it's an art that I learned later when you start off, you're like, Oh man, I'm going to do arm bars. I'm going to like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do that thing. And then as you start to learn, you're like, no, it's about the setups. You push the opponent, you set him up, you trick him. So he falters. And when he falters, you take advantage of what
2: he gives you. Same in business, same in life. Yes. I mean, with business and life i mean i've always asked this and i like this question that do you have to have these humbling experiences like losing you know as you're rolling with somebody especially like somebody with a lower level than you or whatever then taking a big risk on something in business and it doesn't work out the way you want to but you get a good experience out of it but also humbles you at the same time does that kind of make sense what i'm
1: yeah i mean i mean oftentimes you have to humble yourself look i'm 46 i'll be 47 in may of this year and I train with world class dudes where where I train, and I train with guys that are in their twenties. And sometimes a dude comes in, and he's in his twenties. He's testosterone is a twelve hundred. He works out at the gym. He doesn't have a wife and kids, you know, all that stuff, and a and a and a running companies like I do. And uh, he's just starting off, but he's got all that going for him. And I've been training for six years. I cannot underestimate that person because just the sheer amount of athleticism of being in your 20s, the sheer amount of uh, just just physical prowess that comes from being young and fit, uh, that's something that you can't underestimate. So I, you can't just go, oh, okay, I'm going to relax. You have to be ultra careful. And, and then moreover in jujitsu, you know, I, I train with black belts and brown belts and people that are like lifelong jujitsu practitioners, uh, people that have achieved mastery or near mastery level, uh, when, and and by the way, I don't claim to be an expert at, uh, jujitsu at all. Again, I'm, I'm a beginner, but it's usually when you train with lower belts that you get hurt. And when you get hurt, you're out for a period of time, which affects your training. So that's actually, in my opinion, the most dangerous part of jiu-jitsu is knowing who to train with and how and being able to temper your ego and theirs so nobody gets hurt.
2: Is that just because of lower experience, this reason you might get have a chance, your risk of getting hurts more?
1: So when you're not accustomed to training on the mats, like jiu-jitsu really gets you in a place where you're a fight or flight. So guys that are just starting off are always like (laughs) and the is heavy and they're just trying to hold on, right? And that's dangerous. Why? It's dangerous because in a moment, they can just, you know, explode into a wacky movement and you can get hit in the head with an arm, especially if the guy's big and the guy's strong. Yeah. And and you being an experienced practitioner or a semi-experienced practitioner, you just trying to be calm, focus on your movements. You trying you trying not to get hurt and not to hurt them. So it's 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 very tricky. With it's it's kind of like I, I tell my kid always. I say, hey, buddy, be be the big snake because we watched this uh, Nat Geo documentary where they showed rattlesnakes. And you know, if you get bit by one of those big rattlers, I mean, it's not pleasant, but you likely will live. Uh, because the big rattlers know they just need to inject enough venom, and you know, for them to get away or for them to 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 maim you, right? And if you're a person, they don't want to hurt, they you know, they don't want to kill you. Really, they just want to maim you so they can get away. A baby rattler will just release all of their venom and have nothing left, and that's the most dangerous. So it's kind of a similar analogy with jujitsu. Somebody who doesn't know what they're doing might just make some kind of wacky explosive movement or some thing. And you could get hit in the head with a, you know, foot or a leg or something like that. So it's, it's really important in my opinion that you lay ground rules and that, you know, who you're training with. Um, but yeah. And, and, you know, it, belt uh, you know, something I think um, Inosanto taught us, Dan Inosanto, Bruce Lee's partner taught us, you know, only covers uh, one inch around your waist. Uh, and the rest is you so you got to really understand that a belt is just a belt and some people are just naturally good at martial arts and naturally good fighters regardless of what their rank is so rank th- doesn't matter as much as uh, experience and skill
2: yeah i agree 100 percent with that i mean it's kind of like you know this is a weird analogy, maybe education versus non-education. I had somebody talking about here. He's a multimillionaire a couple of weeks ago and he never went to any school. But when I was growing up and we might be switching past right here, but you know, when I was growing up, it was always set in by my family and my parents that, Hey, you know, if you go to school, the higher degrees you get, you know, the better chance you have of being successful. It was never, you know, go gain experience in the world, get street smart or whatever. It was just get all your education from, uh, you know, higher education, which I'm not knocking that by any means, but you know, I've slowly learned in these past few years, it's, it's not always about that. You know, it's just actually living, experience, traveling, you know, having these life experiences where you seem to gain more knowledge and know more about yourself and what your strengths and weaknesses are to help you become even more successful in life, so to speak. It's true.
1: It's true. It's true. You know, life, life in total, I would say, is an experience in getting to know yourself. And the people who you meet along the way who are the most self realized are the best people to know. The people you meet who you're like, man, there's something special about that guy. He's got a plan. He really knows what living life is, are the people who know themselves the best. And knowing yourself doesn't just mean knowing your strengths and what you're good at. It also means knowing what you're not good at, what your weaknesses are. And that's in life, in business, that's what we teach in our Amazon course. By the way, for anybody who's interested, if you guys wanna learn how to make money on Amazon, I've got a one-hour course, reach out to me. My direct email, darkzess at gmail.com. That's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. And I'll give you the one-hour course for free. Uh, If you use the code SHELLER, S H E L O R use that code in the subject heading. I'll give you my $200 one hour Amazon course for free. Send me an email. Uh, I'm very accessible to people. If you guys want to reach out to me, if you think I can help you on your journey, please do reach out. But that's what we teach people is that you got to know your strengths, but you got to know your weaknesses and you have to have the ability to hire the right people to do the things That you can't do. One of the most important skill sets that you have.
2: So is that kind of that's basically what you've learned growing up? Is that you know put so a good team around you that you know like if you just said if you don't have the certain skill sets, put the people around you that do, and that way you know what is it that saying that if you want to go far, go by yourself, or you want to go farther, put a team around you. I probably butchered that, but it's something like yeah. Well, team is kind of a fanciful word
1: people say to make everybody feel equal. I think that's bullshit. I think that you don't need a team unless you know, you're know, you the director of the team. I feel that a business, if we're talking about business and entrepreneurship, is a dictatorship. And you need to be fucking Caesar. You need to be the dictator supreme of your organization. And the buck stops with you. You take responsibility for all decisions. And there's one person responsible for the ship. Now you have other people, competent people working under you that you can delegate to. and there's different levels of delegation that you need to get to know and, and be familiar with. But at the end of the way and end of the way, at the end of the day team, you know, it's a fanciful term that people use because it sounds really good and people are like, hey, we're all on the same team. No, we are not on the same team. Mm-hmm. I am I am running this company. I take responsibility if this company fails. If it succeeds, I make all the money. Now I might share that with you guys as being part of uh, part of the company, and depending on your compensation, your work level, and 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 whatnot. But running a company to the level like when I did, we created a billion dollars in revenue when I invented herbal ecstasy in the nineteen nineties, and that was because we didn't have any red tape. It was just me. And I took responsibility for all our successes and I took responsibility for all our failures. And it was a dictatorship. And sure, I fucked up some of the time and some of the time I didn't fuck up and I made colossal successes. But at the end of the day, the successes that I had far by far outweighed the failures, I would say.
2: Do you think more people are, what's the word am I looking for, go towards that type of leadership like a dictatorship? Or do they want more of an all-inclusive kind of everybody, like a democratic type style, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, if you're looking at like people that are just starting out, people that don't understand how to run a company, people that are new to business, they want all their employees to like them. You don't need them to like you. In fact, it's better for them to fear you. You just need them to respect you. Mm -hmm. And one of you'll always notice a new manager is like trying to hang out with the employees. Hey, let's go to lunch. Let's do this. Fuck that. I don't need you to be my friend. In fact, I don't even need to be nice to you. I need to be respectful to you and you need to be respectful to me because without respect, you don't have harmony in the workplace. But ultimately what's required is for somebody to stand up and to make the decisions and to take responsibility for their decisions and actions. That's what makes a good leader. And now, you know, but people that are just starting off, people that are amateurs, they don't do that. They're like, Hey team, how's it going? Let's have lots of zoom meetings. Let's do lots of this bullshit. Yeah. I fucking hate meetings. I hate meetings. I rarely go on meetings. I mean, if somebody wants to pay my rate uh, and right now I'm billing out, I think it's 1500 bucks an hour is what I charge to do Amazon work for big companies or when people hire me, I'll be on there on the meetings and meetings are, I, I want to say hundred percent, but 99% of the time a waste of time so you create an agenda you create a directive and you have competent people
2: and they execute what do you need a meeting for you don't yeah you don't i agree 100 you know um i currently work in higher education and we have tons well not so much in my current job but my previous jobs we used to have tons of meetings all the time and it was literally just people going around the room just talking about what they have going on but nothing was getting accomplished you know it was just people just talking for an hour an hour and a half just like you said it was like all right then we leave and it was just let's go back to our normal days but it's kind of like what was the point of that meeting you Big know
1: fucking I, circle jerk
2: yeah you're like i don't Doesn't go anywhere yeah, i don't care what you know joe smo over there is doing it has nothing to related to me at all that's a completely different topic but i guess it was kind of what you said that I mean it was exactly what you said that you know these big top figures thought they had to have these meetings and they're bringing camaraderie together and stuff and I guess there's some pros and cons to it but for me I just never never got it just never got it man What do you do in higher education uh, so right now I'm in their IT department but I used to work in their recreation and wellness so Thing. Recreational say again. Recreation and wellness. I was a facility manager for him before that. Oh yeah. Okay.
1: I and see I, you've got a diploma behind you. What's your diploma in?
2: Yeah, I got two. Uh the first one was in PE, physical education, and then I got my master's in sports management. So oh nice. Yeah. So that was all of- about fitness. Well, that was kind of my thing that growing up it's like, yeah, I wanted to either do athletics or do something long fitness. And just, you know, I've always enjoyed working out. I like being active. I always feel better when I do it. You know, it's just kind of, it clears my head. So it's just my thing, man. You know, it's just, it's one of those things if you have a problem, they say, you know, sleep on it. But I've always heard like Ben Greenfield say, go walk, go walk around while you have a problem. And it usually clears your head more and you find an answer to the problem. So
1: I like Ben. He's funny, but he <laughs> started selling so much shit. Like, <laughs> I used to, I used to fucking love his podcast. And then now I'm like, do I need his the green drink that he's selling? And I need the glasses and I need the fucking, like, there's so much shit. I understand people have to make a living, but I'm like, uh, there's a lot of shit he's, he's trying to sell.
2: And I'm like, I agree, man. Like, I, I mean, I've always liked him. I've kind of looked up to him in the beginning when I first found him, but it's almost just too much. Like I get it, dude, you're a fitness guy. I like it. You know your shit, but it's just like, Hey, okay. You don't have to every little thing you don't have to try to sell me on oh, man i got it so, yeah.
1: he's also in his 20s so or he was when he started that stuff so again when you're in your 20s you're invincible you don't need to biohack you could do anything you could eat mcdonald's all day long it doesn't really fucking matter man you know your metabolism is high your testosterone's at 1200 you're like a fucking machine that's why like people go oh my god my whole youth i ate junk food and no problem and now i get like you know i have a couple burgers and i'm like all you know i feel fat it's like yeah because it that that's the way that that scale goes i mean you know how that is if you're
2: in uh if you're in oh, yeah. uh, physical fitness uh-huh. so you you seem like you're a young guy how old are you 35 so I don't know if that's young, but thirty-five, young. yeah, kid. you're, you're on the cusp. I bet you, you started feeling some changes at 35. Right? Oh yeah. Doing my workouts and stuff. Yeah. It's just, I'm not recovering like I used to, you know, I, it's just like you said, I'm, I'm more careful of what I eat. You know, I don't want to not, you know, like tonight we went and got Chipotle and some people got some burgers or whatever, but I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to get the burger tonight. I don't want my, I don't feel like I have my ass shake for a week, you know, just from eating that. But, you know, just like, you know, I I can tell that I'm getting differences in my body, with the way, you know, my body handles certain foods like that, you know, back in college and stuff, we could go out and crush beers and wings and this stuff all night, but now I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, my stomach feels weird now, you know, I shouldn't have did all that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's two things. It's hormones that change, right?
1: When you're 35, your, your, your T levels and, all those different hormones go down dramatically. I'm not an expert at this, but I've done deep research into it. Uh, your telomeres change as well. And your, your body uh, also takes longer to recover. And that seems like not a big thing ultimately, but when you train aggressively, like if you're training three or more days a week to exhaustion, recovery is the thing that changes the game.
2: So that's 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 a huge huge difference in my opinion. You should come train jujitsu with us, man. I would love. That's- I would love to. Uh, you know, I was talking to some friends the other day and just talking about you know am i going to keep doing crossfit forever you know and i've been doing it eight nine years now so and it's like man you know i don't know if it's a little burnout a little what but I, that's my next thing is that the only thing i'm finding that would appeal to me is jujitsu and because it just you know it looks fun it's complex problem solving you know you create good bonds with people around you and it's something that you know like working up to something like hey should i try to you know in 10 years or however long it takes to get a black belt you know it's and a lot of cool people do it that i follow now you know as far as you know like uh, you know, Joe Rogan, obviously, and all his crew mainly does it, you know, yourself and a couple other people I've had on podcasts that are just crushing it. I mean, uh, Andy Bourdain, I mean, so yeah, he was, yeah, a, or Jitsu guy. So
1: yeah, find Find a legit gym around you, a Gracie gym and, and go do it. There might be a 10th planet or a Gracie gym
2: where you're at. Well, that's, either one of those is going to be great. But I've heard those two are like one of the better ones to find and get into and, Yeah. I mean, like you find out more about yourself, like what you're talking about and you look up to certain people, you know, like the Bruce Lee guys you were talking about earlier. it's like, Hey, you know, things are always not the way they seem. There's other perspectives to life and the way you should view certain topics and whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, it's like, it's like that, like learning about yourself and learning there's more to this life on earth that we're flying through the stars, I guess, on the spaceship or whatever you want to say. So yeah, it's interesting, man. It appeals to me. That's what I'm trying to say. So. Maybe one day, but I wanted to talk to you about that herbal ecstasy though. How did you get that going? how did you invent that? I mean,
1: yeah. So I left home when I was 15, went out into the world on my own, had no money, had no place to live. And I had a broken down old car. I lived in my car for a while. I slept in abandoned buildings for a while. I really had nothing. And I started getting involved in the rave scene. I found a mentor. And I noticed that in the rape scene, the people who were making the money were the drug dealers. I thought, oh, cool, let me do that. That's a great thing for me to do. Uh, and the biggest drug at that time was a drug called ecstasy, MDMA, methyl dioxy, methamphetamine, molly, whatever they call it now, was was super popular back then. But there was no supply of it. And then I looked back to my adolescence and I thought to myself, fuck, man, I'm really bad at crime, like terribly bad at crime. I started a a very small crime ring when I was uh, in my adolescence. And the thing that I remember from that, we were selling nudie magazines and gum and glue and whatever, (laughs) cigarettes, whatever you could sell. I had a little uh, Greek kid who was my buddy. He would slide under the metal detectors at the stores. He would steal all the stuff and then we would sell it off at school. The thing that I learned was that I would always fucking get caught every single time. And I remembered to myself going, dude, you are just bad at crime. Like crime is really bad. Like you're just not good at it. So your crime skills really low. You should not be doing crime. So remember that when you get older. And then I got older. And I'm standing there thinking, man, I'm going to sell ecstasy. And I thought to myself, you know what? You're really bad at crime, Shaheen. You should not be doing that. And then it hit me. I thought, man, if I could create a legal version of ecstasy that was legal, that was safe, that was natural, I could make millions. Because the world's out of ecstasy and they need it. And so I went about that process. And I managed to get a mentor. I talked to people from all walks of life and I was very decisive and I managed to influence people to give me what I needed to make it happen. And by the time I was 18, I walked into my office in Venice Beach. I had multiple offices. I had over 200 employees and we got the news that I had broken a billion dollars in revenue.
2: And you had no background of chemistry or biology or anything when you were making this? At all, I There's-
1: dropped out uh, before high school. I dropped out uh, just after grade school, so I had no background in in wiping my ass. Really, I had no background <laughs> in in anything.
2: What would your parents think about that at the time? Well, I I had left home. I, left. I,
0: okay.
1: Yeah, I was on my own. I I did not have communication with my parents. I didn't have any friends. I was I was. All on my own, and then later on, I think they were they were pretty proud of me. And you know, when I reconnected with them later in life, but I, I really had to burn my ships. I had to go out there and do something dramatic uh, in order to create the change that I wanted to see in my life.
2: Do you think a lot of people don't want to create that change because they get too in their comfort zone? I guess, and they're happy just walking through life, not asking questions, you know, just going about their day. Then. Five, 10 years pass, and they're like, "Oh shit, this is not how I envisioned my life." You know. Uh, then they try to change it. Then they're like, "Ah, well, I'm scared of change. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that now."
1: Yeah, life does that. Look, ninety nine percent of people live in what my friend and author Stuart Wilde would call TikTok. They live a life of silent desperation. Ninety nine percent of people just kind of walk through life doing what they've been told doing what they they think. Eventually they meet a a girl or a dude and they get married and they have kids and they go to work and they wake up one day and they're fucking fat. The kids are fat. The wife is fat. They hate their fucking job. And they look around and they go, what the fuck am I doing here? What have I done? Will it ever change? And then they go back to doing whatever they're doing. If they're that self-realized, they might go, fuck man, what have I done?" and they don't stop to say what it's all for. And that that's really, I believe, what religion did. Religion came and said, hey, you know, there, there's a higher meaning. When you're dead, there'll be an answer for it and there'll be Uh, a, a god that will redeem you and everything will be okay and you'll live you'll finally be happy so you don't have to be happy now you can be happy later and i'm not picking on any one religion i respect everybody's belief and rights to believe in whatever they believe but ultimately there are some people who have what Richard Koch talks about in his book. Richard Koch, the author of 8020 20 Principle, wrote a book, Unreasonable Success and How to Achieve It. And one of the things he talks about is having a transformational experience. So you have 1%, maybe less, of people who something happens to them in their life. And they look back and they reflect. And that experience transforms them. The experience that transforms them could be travel to somewhere outside of where they live. For some people, they do ayahuasca or they do some kind of of drug. And I don't espouse that at all, but some people do it and they have this life changing experience. For some people, they get into some kind of car accident or some unfortunate accident happens to them where they almost die and then they survive and their life is changed forever. And some people pick up a, a discipline, whatever it is that impacts them so much that they change. And for those people, they get on a path. They understand that there's more to life than the illusion that most people see, the hamster wheel, so to speak. And if you understand that, if you understand that there is a hamster wheel that most people are on and that there is a way to break free from that, You can do that. Now, I don't believe you can do that without having financial freedom. I believe that financial freedom is one of the keys that unlocks the door to that. I would agree. And now now I believe that Amazon being one of the great disruptors that are out there, the Amazon marketplace, creating a product and selling it on Amazon is one of the best ways to create predictable recurring revenue streams and get out of selling your hours. And by the way, anybody that's interested, email me directly darkzess at gmail.com. That's D A R K Z E S S at gmail.com. Use code Scheller and I'll give you the one hour course for free.
2: You know, I wanted to ask, you know, talking about Amazon and stuff. I mean, I wanted to talk about, there the, not getting the best name in the headlines right now, but I also want to talk about how did you become a master at Amazon? Was it just on a way up, you were just jumping in and just getting to know it, just putting in the work and just learning what works and what doesn't work? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I
1: started years and years ago uh, selling on the Amazon platform. And this was early on. So Herbal Ecstasy, I sold that. I went on to invent the Vaporizer, which is the forerunner to all the vape the Vapeur vaporizer uh, was the first vape company to go public. Another thing that I don't espouse anybody smoke or vape; just not good for you. Huh. And from there, I decided I wanted to create a brain pill, a smart pill. I had my kid, and you know, I realized I was getting a little bit older. I needed to have greater mental acuity. So how was I going to do that? I invented, along with a big pharma company a brain supplement that I thought was one of the top in the world. And by the way, anybody that wants to look it up, it's Accelerol, Accelerol.com, or look up Accelerol or Focus Plus on the Amazon platform, and you can try It's a pretty good supplement. But back in those days, it was very expensive. It was like 120 bucks. Worked real well, and I thought, how am I going to sell this? Then I started looking into Jeff Bezos, and I saw, man, this guy could be one of the smartest guys in the room. I, I'd like to learn more about him. And back then, you could email Jeff, jeff at amazon.com. He was accessible. He would respond back. If you need to get him on the phone, you get him on the phone. We heard through the grapevine that Jeff was opening up the platform to allow third-party sellers to sell on there. So people like you and me could come up with a product and sell it on there. And I already had a product. So I was like, let me do it. It took me all of 15 minutes. Yeah, uh, I listed the product on Amazon, went to sleep. I didn't think much of it. I woke up to thousands of orders at 120 bucks an order. And it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I thought to myself, man, let me look more into this Jeff Bezos guy (laughs) and this Amazon thing. And I started looking into it and I realized that this was a guy who was really going to be the greatest disruptor of our time as far as e-commerce goes. And that he was not only changing the game, he was creating a new game. And as I learned more and more about it, I started learning that, hey, there are little tricks, little hacks that you can do to how to find a product, how to get reviews, how to get eyeballs on your product, how to get on that first page, how to get discovered. And again, I teach that all in my Amazon course. Anybody that's interested, it's FBA FBAsellercourse.com, FBA standing for fulfillment by Amazon. And if you're interested in learning more about that, reach out to me and I'm happy to to talk to anybody about that but that's how i started off and now we've got over 300 different products uh, through a wide range of category and i also consult for fortune 50s fortune 500s i talk to companies all the time about how to sell and tell a story through the amazon platform
2: yeah so you know i mean i'm a, I'm a big amazon user i mean i've never sold on there or anything but you know with their warehouse workers and stuff like that in the headlines, is that hurting them at all? I mean, at all do you think, or is that just kind of just hey, it's just another headline, whatever, don't worry about it.
0: Yeah.
1: Look, you got some group of people that are all woke and all like, you know, all about political correctness and, you know, they want everybody to, to, to fall in line with what their beliefs are. So I think they create that. I think that's, it's, it's, I think a very politically charged topic. And I think any time you create a company of that size and scale, it's not going to be without problems. Sure. America is not without problems. We're the greatest country in the world. Capitalism is the greatest system ever designed. But it's an experiment. And starting a company like that, it's an experiment. And they're trying to improve it day to day. The way they treat their sellers, the way they treat their, you know, the buyers, there's no complaints. They the, People who shop on Amazon love it because they always take the buyer side. But if you're a seller on there, how they treat their sellers, how they come up with products that compete with their sellers sometimes, how they treat their workers and their drivers. But you know what? They're creating millions of jobs. They're creating millions and billions of dollars of revenue to our economy. And we want to encourage that. We want to encourage guys like Jeff Bezos, like Elon Musk, like Steve Jobs, to build build these companies and to build these great institutions, which is really what they become, of American capitalism. And that's how it works. And yeah, the guy who's driving the Amazon trucks and the guys working in the warehouse, don't be those guys. That's what I would tell you. If you can help it, don't be those guys, but they're going to be those guys. And if it's not Amazon, it'll be Walmart. And if it's not Walmart, it'll be whoever else is is doing that stuff. Before Amazon, remember, Walmart had all the same issues. Mm -hmm. And it's just that Amazon's on top right now. So people are going to always troll. People are always going to talk shit. People are always going to find your weakest link and then try to push and expose you. And I understand, but... The fact is, people should be treated fairly, people should have all those things, but you're never going to have a perfect system. So do these companies do more harm than good? I don't believe so. I believe truly that they do more good than harm by boosting our economy, boosting our workforce, creating all these jobs, and, and really contributing to the fabric of society.
2: You know, I want to play devil's advocate with you and just that you do you think that the small business and the mom and pop businesses are hurting because of them, you know, with people who would take sides like so I live roughly 20 minutes from Blacksburg, Virginia, and that's where Virginia Tech is I don't know if you know where that is. But anyway, they don't allow, you know, big box stores to come there in there at all. They're all like, no, we got to have mom and pops. This is what keeps the community nice and clean. And we just nice little college town. No big deal. I mean, do you think that's a side of that not to allow them in certain areas or just to hey? It's like, you know, you should only be so big. You shouldn't be the biggest in the world. I hope that kind Yeah.
1: Of I I I would prefer a town with all mom and pop unique boutique shops that I could walk through and I know Joe Joe's diner and sit down and have a coffee with him and stuff. And, you know, walk into the local bar that's just like cheers and everybody knows my name. That would be ideal. It's not reality. There's a great movie called Other People's Money with Danny DeVito. And there's the scene where the impassioned owners of a cable company, uh, they make actual cable get up there. And they make this impassioned plea about how we're about hometown and our products are hometown. And This is the hometown company. And my dad built this company and his dad was there before him. And the guy gives this big speech and you can watch the video on YouTube. And then Danny DeVito comes up and he claps and he's the corporate takeover guy. And he tells the story about how back in the day, there was a guy who made the best buggy whip ever. And people looked around and said, man, this guy makes a great buggy whip. But pretty soon a car whip buzzes by and then another car buzzes by and 90% of the road is filled with cars. And there's dude stand there with his buggy whip and buggy whip company. And even though he's making the best buggy whip in the world, it's in the past. Yeah, so yeah. we have to look forward. And so maybe, maybe, and this is just one solution. The answer might not be bringing back every single mom and pop, but maybe creating a different dynamic. Maybe those mom and pops should now be selling on Amazon should be selling on Walmart should be selling on eBay and having more family time because they don't have to sit in a freaking store all day long, talking to people, right? The ideals of old world America are lovely. It's lovely to go into a small town that hasn't been Walmartized or Amazonized. And, and those are few, but sure. really it's a dinosaur. And I don't see it as the wave of the future because People don't fucking want to spend the money. I'll tell you in LA, there was, people want it both ways, right? People, people, people don't want to spend the money. They want to get the best product. They want to get tons of it because this is America. Everything has to be fucking huge. You got to have that big, massive fucking plate. You got to have 50 of everything. So people want that, but then they want the, the, uh, the family owned, uh, store on the corner. You can't have it all. You can't have all of that stuff. I know you feel entitled to it, but you can't have it. So there was a great bookstore, one of the greatest bookstores of all time, and I'm a big fan of great bookstores. They're all dying. So this was a bookstore called the Bodhi Tree, and it was in West Hollywood, where all the studios are and the actors and and this store started in the 1960s during the hippie movement before the internet. And it became a great repository of all the great teachings of all ages. So it was, they had all the books on science and metaphysics, and they had a used book section, new books, and you went in there and they served you tea. And some guy would come out whose life was in these books and he would talk to you and they would do great lectures. And it was just a cool place to hang out. And I love the vibe in there. And when I started making a lot of money, I would walk in there. No joke. I would walk out spending a thousand bucks on books. I mean, I'd walk out with stacks of books, piles of books, because I loved fucking reading. And I remembered one day going there to the store and the staff was a little grumpy and the owners were a little grumpy and there weren't that many people in the store anymore. And people had smartphones and you saw people looking at books and they were scanning them because now they can order them online rather than paying full price at the store you can get them for half price online so people were doing that and my friend who worked there came up to me and he goes hey did you hear and i said what's going on he says it's our last week we're closing next week i said what do you mean this is my hangout like i love coming here i shop here all the time what do you mean you're closing and he looked at me and he said how many of those books are you going to buy? I said, I don't know, one or two. He said, Do you remember how many you used to buy? I said, Yeah, I remember. I would walk out of here a thousand bucks every week of books and and tapes. We had uh, books on tape and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And he goes, that's why. Makes sense. And I and I and I realized it was a buggy whip company. You can't compete with that. And now, if they wanted to, if that store understood. If the owners understood, and the owners were older and they wanted to get out of that, but if they understood, they would know that you would have to change the model. Maybe you give the books for free. Maybe you sell something else. Maybe you you figure out how to get people into the store. But now, there's there's the only bookstores that I see that survive independent bookstores really are selling something else. There's a few, there's a couple in in Washington and a couple in New York where there are these massive stores and they still sell books some way, somehow they figured it out. But in general, it's a thing of the past.
2: Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I mean, all the books I do now are all audio books, so. Yeah, you should get my book, Billion. (laughs) How
1: I Became King of the Stripal Cult now on audible it'll be good for you when you're working out
2: yeah that's usually what i do like when i'm just going out through my day or whatever just put a book in or if i you know some of my workouts or just go put a 60 pound backpack on and go walk so yeah that's usually what i do music podcast whatever books so
1: 60 pound is good I'll, I'll send over my eight-year-old and he'll just jump
2: on your back like he does me he's exactly 60 pounds he's fantastic yeah, dude. it's uh yeah it's just something different you know i incorporated the training that's one thing i like about crossfit that each workout is completely different you know you never it's never usually the same one it's very rarely the same one so then you get days like that it's just like oh you know you don't always have to be picking up a barbell with 225 on it to actually get a decent workout in so but yeah, I mean, with the whole, with the was that you said that picture on the book was part of the rave scene when you were in it. Is that when you? were? Uh, this was during the during the rave scene. Uh-huh. The picture isn't part of the rave scene. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like what got you into the rave scene, man? Just just uh, a little Eric I, I, friend of it.
1: It was but what I, was happening at the time. I had a mentor who was very involved in the rave scene. I write about him in my book. Okay, and it was a easy way for me to get into business.
2: Do you think? So I've you know I like asking this question that mentors are almost very overpowered that almost everyone needs to have one to be successful. Just I look back and like kind of reflect on my life and it's like who was a mentor in my life and who taught me some things and then like why didn't I you know listen to this person versus this other person who kind of you know walked in my life a path and but some of the people seems like they've gotten successful without having a mentor but I always feel like it's nice to have somebody who can can basically show you the way and show you the right ways to do it and what they did wrong. And that way you kind of at least got a, you know, sort of a guideline to go through, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a shortcut. Yeah. Shortcut. There we go.
1: So one of the best benefits that you can have is by having somebody who has been where you want to be and whose mistakes you can learn from, you can make your own mistakes, And you can also get lucky. These are things that happen all the time. People get lucky and people make mistakes and they learn from them and they progress. Or you could be somebody who's got a very unique set of skills where you understand how to operate through the world. Mm -hmm. So not everybody needs a mentor. I think for some people, it's an amazing journey. And for other people, they can do it on their own.
2: Do you think hard work beats talent or it's rather be lucky than?
1: No, I I think smart work beats talent. I, I think ultimately you want to get away from working hard and get towards working smart because, you know, there's nothing noble about working harder than the next guy. What's noble is working smarter than the next guy. So you don't have to work as hard as the next guy. And now, you know, my lifestyle is pretty good. I travel with my family all around the world. We we visit family. We do all kinds of fun stuff. And while we're doing it, we're making money. And then I do great shows like this. And then through my agency, Podcast Cola, uh, for anybody who wants to look us up, if you want to be on great shows like this one, uh, reach out and we'll get you booked. Uh, we book people on shows just like this. And we get people, we show people how to utilize other people's audience to get their own story and message out into the world. And I think that's one of the most powerful things I've done in in recent memory. And I'm super excited about the launch of Podcast Cola.
2: You know, I want to go back just a little bit with, uh, you know, talking about what you just said that you know the lifestyle you have now it's just almost like the iceberg theory only mainly people were seeing you know the what's above the water like what how you're living now and how well you're doing for yourself and but they don't understand what you know under the water like what you had to go through to get to the top or whatever get to where you at in life right now right so yeah I, I i
1: tell people about that all the time you know when you when you meet somebody you rarely know what they've been through to get to where they are. And I paid my dues. I slept in abandoned cars. I know what it's like to be hungry. What's not have food in your belly unless you perform. And all those experiences created the fabric of who I am. And that's something I know nobody could ever take away from me. So what could be taken away are the physical things, the houses, the cars, the uh, businesses, the stocks, the all the fancy stuff. But what can't be taken away is the core of who you are. And if you build that to be strong, there's nothing that can ever stop you from achieving. All the guys I know that are millionaires, the couple I know that are billionaires, if you drop them off somewhere in the middle of nowhere with just the clothes on their back, come back in a year, they'll be back to where they are now.
2: Yeah, it's very nicely said. I can't agree more that just, you know, I've been from talking with people like yourself. That just kind of seems the same consensus all through it, that uh, people were saying the same thing exactly just like that. And it's just like, it, you know, it doesn't just resonate with people for some reason, but I don't know why they just can't get out of their own head or out of their own way or whatever you want to call it. But, but yeah, it just, like I said, it just seems to be same consensus all through the, the marks, man. So I'm glad you said that. So yeah. Uh, But uh, what I wanted to ask was like one more question about entrepreneurship, just because I hear a lot of people, different people talking about this was that, you know, in talking about hard work and like Elon Musk was, um, uh, you know, sleeping 12 or sleeping four hours a day or whatever, you know, like, is that type of entrepreneurship to, uh, you know, I guess to uh, sell or show everybody or is it just. Like just do quality versus quantity work, you know, like however much you can get done a day. You don't have to be up 23 hours a day with one hour of sleep, you know, to be successful. Yeah.
1: No, that's a great question. Look, I think different people have different requirements. And one of the problems we have now in in the world is that people are being sold these programs, these books, whatever it is that people have to freaking sell you they have a tendency to make it a one size fits all, you know, in health and wellness and in fitness that you can't sell a book called everybody's different. So, uh, you know, you, you know, this guy can eat meat and uh, protein and this other guy can have a little bit of carbs and this other guy can have a, a cola every once in a while, but still be healthy. Like there, there's no diet like that. The diet is, hey, low carb. Hey, eat just meat. Hey, just carnivore. Hey, be vegan. Hey, do this. Why? Because it sells. It's very easy to sell a one-size-fits-all with quick sound bites that you could use on the press for everybody. But the fact is, we are all uniquely situated. We are all so different that what diet works for you, what exercise works for you may not work for me and may not work for the next guy. And everything has to be individualized and customized. But there's no money in that. So we have a tendency to have these like hard and fast rules about how things work. And and, and really, for some guys, yeah, it makes sense. Work 23 hours a day, sleep one hour, because that's what you got to do. And then for other guys, if you're like a guy like Elon, Elon probably could, could sleep 12 hours a day and still be doing great. So it just depends on who you are. But at the end of the day, what it comes down to is what we talked about. And that's just knowing yourself. When you know yourself, when you know your, your weaknesses, you know your strengths, there's nothing you can't do. And I encourage you to uh, reach out to us if you guys are watching this. Uh, my direct email, darkzess at gmail.com, D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Use the code Sheller. And I'm happy to give you my Amazon course for free to teach you how to create recurring revenue. And anybody who's interested, we do have a mastermind in a group where it's people just like yourself who are learning how not to sell their hours and to get the most out of life by creating predictable recurring revenue streams.
2: Great. Let's take this home on that one, right there. Um, I know you've already. Anything else? If they want to find or get a hold of you, I know you just kind of said most of it right there. But is there anything else before we hop off here?
1: Yeah. Check out my book Billion: How I Became King of the Thrillpul Cult. We also have a podcast called Hack and Grow Rich. So anybody that's interested, and if you'd like more content, if you like what we talked about, check out Hack and Grow Rich. We'll also cut this interview up and post it on Hack and Grow Rich as well as try to send you some subscribers. And additionally, if anybody's interested, if you want to be on great shows like this, check out podcastcola.com and we'll include a link in the show notes.
2: Good deal. All right, everybody, we're out of here. Be good to yourselves. Thanks for being here, dude. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, man. Really
2: appreciate you. And thanks for having me on. All right, anytime. Bye, folks. She walks away.